0: Hey, it's Emily. And it's Kayla.
1: And you're listening to Two Jane Doe's. This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Two Jane Doe's. Today, we're going to be bringing you part two of Tommy Lynn a.k.a. the cross-country killer. If you haven't, go back and listen to part one. Um, in that episode, we covered his early life, some of his crimes and his mental disorder, and some of the murders that he had committed. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing some more possible murders that he may be linked to, and his trial and some of the interviews that were done with him so let's jump on in
0: right so we left off with you guys we kind of caught up at the end of the last episode with katie um, katie harris's murder and what all went with her and so the following list is people that he claims he murdered but it was never actually confirmed So, the first one is an unidentified man. Um, He was murdered in Mississippi in 1979, and Sills claimed that he murdered this man because he was molesting a child, which later proved to be false.
1: Which, if you did listen to part one, there was another uh, murder in which he confessed to where he said he broke into the home and he saw an older man, a pedophile, you know, messing around with a young boy, so he killed... Both
0: of them? Yes. Did he kill both yeah, of them? Yeah, he killed yeah. both of them. The second is another unidentified man. He was murdered in 1980. He was murdered with an ice pick in Los Angeles.
1: Ew.
0: Right. And we do know that Tommy does use pretty much anything that's around him to hurt somebody. And whether that was a piano stool, a bowie knife, a baseball bat... So, it could be possible that he did do this.
1: Yeah, because he's even used the piano stool.
0: <laughs> Not the ceramic duck, though. Not the ceramic... <laughs> oh God, I can't get over that. Then we have Colleen Gill, who was beaten to death with a baseball bat on July 21st, 1983. She was murdered with her daughter, Tiffany. And Tommy doesn't like to leave potential witnesses behind, so... Regardless of their age, which is really terrible. Yeah, because he murdered children. Yeah. And
1: her, Colleen's daughter Tiffany was age four. And she was also beaten to death with a baseball bat on July 21st, 1983. Then we have an unidentified female. And she, to this day, I believe is an unknown woman. And she was murdered in 1986, in which she was shot in St. Louis. Then we have Stephanie Stroh. She was strangled to death after being drugged with LSD. And Tommy encased her feet with concrete and dumped her in a desert hot spring on October 16,
0: 1987, in Nevada. Which seems a bit far-fetched for something for him to do. I mean, he... Typically fled afterwards, so I mean, this would take time to do all these things,
1: right? Because you'd have to mix it, set it up, put her feet in it. That's a lot just to dispose of a body, especially when infamously he's been known to just kill and dash. Yeah, so then we have an unknown boy and an unknown woman. They were both thought to have been murdered in the fall of 1988, and it was a mother and her son.
0: Which, again, is just kind of like if I did one, I got to do the other to get rid of witnesses. Yeah. Then we have Kent Allen Lawton, who was aged 51 and was murdered on December 18th, 1988, in Arizona, and Kent's throat was cut. So that's kind of similar to Katie Harris's case.
1: Right, because he cut Crystal Searle's throat, too, mm-hmm. and she went and got help because, if you remember from part one, she's the one that had to handwrite the note saying that the Harrises are hurt, and they need help, and that her neck needed
0: help as well. Mm-hmm. We have another unknown woman who was murdered in Nevada of January 1989. Uh, we have two unidentified persons that were also murdered in Oregon of May 1989. Then there is Deborah Harris, who was 32, murdered on April 4th, 1999, in Tennessee. She was stabbed to death with her daughter, Ambria, and sales claims responsibility for both of them. Ambria was eight and was also stabbed to death.
1: And then we have Haley McCone. She was 13 and she was strangled to death on May 13th, 1999, in Kentucky. And we have Bobby Lynn Wofford, who was 14, murdered in July of 1999 in Oklahoma. And it also is said that he was forced to perform oral sex with him. He was sodomized and he was shot in the head. Now, this really doesn't make sense if Tommy Sells were to have committed this crime. If, you know, him seeing pedophilia triggered his own past abuse. ...and things like that, and he's killed, quote-unquote, killed other pedophiles. Why would he have a 14-year-old boy perform oral sex on him before he sodomizes him and,
0: and then ultimately puts him out of his misery? It just doesn't really fit his MO. No, it doesn't really match up there at all. Then we have a family of three, Danny Freeman, Kathy Freeman, and Ashley Freeman who were all murdered on December 31st, 1999, in Oklahoma. Sells confesses to all three of these murders.
1: Right, and along with that family of three was the family friend, Laura Bible. She was murdered um, on December 31st, 1999, in Oklahoma as well. Laura Bible was this family friend. She was in the home with them. Story time. So, I was listening to Crime Junkie, another... Really good true crime podcast. I would recommend it. And I listened to this Laura Bible episode. And this was when you first brought up the idea of doing Tommy Lynn And I heard his name mentioned in the podcast. And then my ears perked up. I was like, wait, what? I'm pretty sure we're going to cover this guy. And it was said in this podcast episode on her case that he had, he was already in prison at the time. And he had confessed to these murders of, Danny, Kathy, Ashley, and Laura and he took the police on a wild goose chase trying to find their remains because they were actually missing for quite a bit and actually uh, I have it pulled up here on my phone Um, it says that a death row inmate Jeremy Jones confessed to killing Danny and Kathy and claimed that he took the girls to Kansas where he shot them and threw their bodies into an abandoned mine which I don't know how much you know about abandoned mines, they have a lot of tunnels and routes and they all kind of run together and i remember on that episode they had talked about that and they spent an exorbitant amount of time out there looking and came up empty-handed and then he actually recanted his story so they never did find the remains nor the killer but i just know tommy themselves was basically just yanking their chains That's ridiculous. And wasting time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's probably all he was doing, was just wasting everyone's time to evade the inevitable.
1: Right. I think for a lot of these uh, murderers and uh, serial killers that are in prison, that's just one more way for them to toy with people. And especially their families. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they didn't do the crime are willing to give families, loved ones, that hope that they're going to find some kind of closure, whether that's finding their body so they can lay them to rest or what have you, and they really didn't know anything in the first place.
0: Right. And unfortunately, there was a whole long list of many more people that Tommy actually confessed to killing, uh, but they couldn't be confirmed um, because he was probably lying about it. And I did not feel the need to include all of these people because many of them were still unidentified. You know, Jane and John Doe's. Which is terrible. I mean, that's sad to think that this monster would have the nerve to say that he killed all these people and it to not be true. I mean, you know, you gotta think, like, if a family's working close with... The police, or something, to try and still figure out who killed a family member, or something. And then the police is like, Oh, hey, we might have a lead. So then that gets that family's hopes up that they're going to find closure and, you know, who killed somebody. Exactly. Only for it to be a complete and utter lie. So, what we know about Tommy now is that his MO is unlike any other serial killer. Right. He targeted. ...random victims from all across the country, from middle-aged adults to young children. He had no specific targeted gender, either killing both men and women. And, you know, normally, a serial killer has a particular...
1: No, they always have a specific type, like an archetype that they would go for. Right. So, I... You know, with Ted Bundy, he had... A lot of his victims were dark hair, you know... Really attractive women, right? Um, up until the end when he lost his mind, but, anyways, um, yeah, it seems like Tommy Lynn Sells was more like a crime of opportunity. It just for a lot of these people, it was wrong place, wrong time because there was no robbery, there was really no motive for him killing these people. Except in the off chance that he said he walked in on a pedophile, which I uh, to this day don't know how that would happen. I, said, I mean, I'm not saying it's
0: impossible. No, but it's a very slim chance that right. that's going to happen. Yeah. He also used a variety of ways of killing people from shooting, bludgeoning, throat slashing, stabbing, and strangulation, which made his trends hard to follow. And victims were also mutilated, and most female victims were raped or sexually assaulted. So, he's just all over the place. Like, he has no real particular anything.
1: Right. Because, again, most serial killers, they'll their first few victims will be sloppy. And then as they, which just sounds really bad, as they continue with this uh, extracurricular activity, <laughs> <laughs> they get better. And the police can see that in the way they murder their victims. Right.
0: Because it'll always be, like, this person was stabbed this many times mm-hmm. they had this color hair typically around this age and then two months later you find the same thing yeah but with him it's ho- no wonder it took him so long to find him
1: he's just out here while out <laughs> killing everybody <laughs> so now this brings us back to where we began in uh, part one of his story where on December 31st, 1999, he uh, had perpetrated the crime of murder against Katie Harris and the assault on her friend Crystal, but Sells was apprehended after this and it was actually from a sketch being made from the victim description and he was in police custody at that point. once he started just throwing out names and crimes all over the place the state's attorney in jefferson county illinois declined to charge sales with the dardine family homicides in 1987 because his confession to this quadruple killing while generally consistent with facts of the cases reported in the media was inaccurate with concern to some details that have not been made to the general public he also changed his account three times regarding how he had met the family and investigators wanted to bring cells to Southern Illinois to resolve their doubts, but Texas refused. Due to its law forbidding death row prisoners from leaving the state. So, it just sucks. I mean, it sucks for him. Good for everybody else that Texas is like the Wild West.
0: Right, I mean, <laughs> but it, it does make you wonder, like, did he actually kill the dardine family mm. and he just was never actually trialed because of the laws that texas had in place i mean even though he changed his story i mean you gotta think that was what almost 10 years ago for him right would you really be able to recount everything exactly from 10 years after you've done killed god knows how many people
1: that's something, now that you mentioned that, that, that's always something that's blown my mind is that, you know, they could kill people and 20, 30 years from then, they're able to be like, yeah, this is exactly what happened. This is how I did it. This is what she looked like. This is where I put her. Like, I I could set my keys on the kitchen counter and just go use the bathroom. And I'm panicking because I can't find my keys. And these people are like, yeah. Went into the thick woods, and this is exactly where their body is. It's the third stump from the southeast corner of this.
0: And you're like, what? So, I mean, mean, it. But, and it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you can't.
1: Yeah. And I mean, going back to them not, you know, Texas not wanting to let them go to Illinois, you know, you have. Like, look at Rodney Alcala's case. He was tried in California and put on death row for the murder of Robin Samso, Mm -hmm. and they linked him to all of the New York killings, but they wouldn't let him go because he was already on death row in California.
0: Which, I mean, in a way, it kind of makes sense. Like, why would we move somebody to another state when they're already on death row? That's the end game. Exactly. What does it matter?
1: And. I feel like sometimes the families can be understanding, like they know this person is where they belong, mm-hmm. even if they never do get their day in court. Right. So, Sales was housed on death row in Allen B. Polanski Unit near Livingston, Texas. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice received him on November 8, two thousand. And in two thousand four, Sales confessed that on October third, nineteen ninety seven, he broke into a home took a knife from a butcher block in the kitchen, stabbed a little boy to death, and scuffled with a woman. Those details corroborated the account of Julie Rhea Harper, who was initially convicted for the murder of her son and then acquitted in 2006.
0: So if you missed that story, that's in part one.
1: Right, because she was she was tried and found guilty and actually sat in prison for quite a few years
0: mm-hmm.
1: before... Uh, Tommy Linsells actually confessed and she was able to be released. And I don't think, you know, she was fully exonerated until what, 2010, I believe? So she sat in prison and when Tommy confessed, she'd been there for years at that point And she was never fully exonerated until 2010. So, I mean, imagine the sigh of relief to know that he was now going to be, you know, initially held responsible for that as well.
0: Right. And I will say, I think you know, at this point, if he knows that he's on death row and there's, you know, nothing else going for him, why not say that you killed all these people? I mean, for one, he kind of seems like, which we're getting ready to get into is the interviews, which I actually watched these videos, and he seemed like the type of person to say whatever needed to be said to gain more attention on himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you have to understand, it unpopular opinion he holds all the cards the police need information from him right and you know they're not going to get any answers to all these millions of questions they have unless he gives it to them and they know that and that's why they tend to get cocky and arrogant i mean there's some that the police would bring them Like a cigar or a double cheeseburger from somewhere just so they could sit down and get more information out of them.
0: Right, like let me play the nice card to see if you'll give me some more information. Right. As I said, you know, I had watched a couple of interviews that were done while Sells was in prison. Um, So in 2006, uh, Sells was on one of the featured interviewees on Season 1, Episode 2 of the ID documentary series, Most Evil. The interview was done by forensic psychiatrist Dr. Michael Stone, and in the interview, Sells claimed to have killed more than 70 people. ABC News also created a 10-minute mini-documentary, Tommy Lynn Sells' The Mind of a Psychopath. During the interview from the mini-documentary by ABC News, the interviewer is asking Tommy what it felt like when he committed his first murder, and Tommy responds stating that it was such a rush. The interviewer asks how many people he had killed and begins giving off numbers, just randomly saying 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And Tommy states that he does not know but maybe 50 or 70 and that he isn't making notches in his holster and that he is addicted to killing. Tommy also stated that he liked to see the eyes fade and that it was like setting a soul free. When asked why he murdered children, he responded stating that he did not want them to live through the pain he lived through. The interviewer asked him what would happen if he had said something to anger Tommy. Tommy says that if we were in a fight, you know, smash your head down in the concrete, so be it. Interviewer asks, what do you think happens? And Tommy says that it cracks like a coconut. At one point in the interview, the interviewer stated that he is grateful for the glass between them. And let me tell you, when I, you can go on Google and look up this mini documentary and it's almost cringy watching it. Mm -hmm. Because he thinks it's, like, it's cute to be on this interview.
1: he's putting on a show. Yeah. So during the interview from Most Evil, Tommy sits down with Dr. Michael Stone, who is trying to understand the minds of psychopaths. And Dr. Stone asks Tommy... What he feels when he kills, Tommy stated that the first kill was such a rush, and he continued killing, searching for that rush. That release of anger, like it was busted glass, sending shivers through his brain, but that he never felt that same rush, like, with the first kill. And after that, it just became a routine. Which is, like, you can compare that to drug addicts. Yeah. They're always chasing that same high, like, when they first got high, and that's what kills them. Mm Mm-hmm. Is you know, they're trying to find something that they're never gonna get back. And I couldn't imagine that just killing somebody would be like a routine, like, oh, eight o'clock, drop the kids off to school, eight forty five, <laughs> pick up some groceries, nine o'clock, kill Mrs. Green on my way back home while she's checking the mail. Like, who does that?
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it was probably easier for him to have such a routine like that because he didn't have a specific type. Right. And it was just whoever was around at the time.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, he had no kind of structure in terms of, like, his home life. He was a wanderer. Mm -hmm. He, He roamed from place to place, never stayed in the same place for very long. And maybe that's what, quote, unquote gave his life purpose. Possibly, yeah. Was to have that one thing that he knew that he was good at Mm -hmm. and that he could do. Dr. Stone stated to Tommy that he did not discriminate, and Tommy said that people don't matter. It's the crime. The rush is the high. Dr. Stone asks if he was playing God, and Tommy laughs, saying, you're a psychologist and you believe in God and that he was not playing God. Tommy admits to Dr. Stone that remorse had no relevance to his life and that if he could turn off that shattered glass in his head, then maybe he would feel remorse and he would probably hang himself.
0: Which isn't an unusual concept for serial killers to not have. Many of them don't really have that type of remorse or guilt.
1: Yeah. Going back, look at Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy... The only time you saw fear in him is when he knew he was going to be executed. Yeah. It was the moment he was found guilty that he was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? That charm and...
0: It just turned right off. Yeah, it's...
1: Yeah, then everybody got to see the real Ted Bundy.
0: But sadly, Sadly. it wasn't like that. Was it sadly? I don't know. (laughs) It didn't go that way for Tommy. Let me just put it like like that. (laughs) On January 3rd, 2014, a Del Rio judge set Sells' execution date for April 3rd, 2014. Sells' death sentence was carried out at the Texas State Prison in Huntsville. When asked if he would like to make a final statement, Sells replied, no. As a lethal dose of... When phenobarbital was administered, he took a few deep breaths, closed his eyes, and began to snore. Less than a minute later, he stopped moving. Thirteen minutes later, at 6.27 p.m. Central Time, he was pronounced dead.
1: Crystal Searles and members of both the Harris and Perez families attended the execution. Many families of his victims believe he did not get what he deserved with the lethal injection, as it appears as though he just took a nap and that was that. And that his victims did not get easy deaths like his own. And this is where, unpopular opinion, I personally don't believe in closure. I think if your family is put through a trauma of losing someone to a violent crime, such as what Tommy Lynn did to his victims... I don't think you're ever going to find what you're looking for. No. Because um, state bodies are not allowed to just stab people repeatedly. And popular (sighs) phrases in prison is care, custody, and control. That's what you have over these inmates, either until their death or till their
0: release. And... It it really doesn't ever provide that ultimate closure, if you will, that families probably want to see. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, when I see someone abusing an animal because I am such a big-hearted animal lover, my instant thought is I want that person to feel the same pain that they did to that animal. I want them to be, like, drugged behind a truck for ten miles. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you can't, I mean, you can't do that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, they go to jail for animal abuse and that's that
1: right and i mean the only justice quote-unquote justice that you would get would be as if tommy lynn cells was never caught you came across him and you killed him yourself but then what do you have say so you're a family of four your child was murdered you're a family of three now you kill tommy lynn cells you go to prison now you have one person so, you've achieved nothing. Right. But to make yourself feel better, which is selfish. It is. And you've left, you've completely destroyed a family.
0: But, when you're upset like that, that's not how people see it, you know?
1: I don't know. I completely agree. I know everything I just said is going to be, again, unpopular opinion. And it's easy to say. I've never been in that situation. But, I mean, you just kind of have to let... You have to put some trust into the system and believe that it's going to work for you. I know it's not always how it pans out to be, but if you lose all faith in the system, where does that leave you?
0: Yeah, and I mean, you got to think, at least he's dead. He's not going to be killing anybody else.
1: Right, right. And, I mean, that there might be your closure is knowing that he's never going to be able to hurt another family the way he hurt you. Right. And your family. Yeah, what do you guys think? We'd like to hear some feedback from you guys. So, uh, hit us up on our Facebook page. Or if you happen to land on our website, it's on our Facebook page as well. Let us know what you guys think about Lynn cells. Thanks for listening to 2 Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review so that way others can notice us too. Catch us on Facebook at 2 Jane Does where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts
0: if you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with you can leave us a message on our facebook page or if you just happen to wind up on our website you can send us a message there